This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, I've got a terrific show lined up for you today. A lot of timely information. And joining me in segments two and three of today's program is my special guest expert, Mr. John Rabino. John is the host of the highly popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com. Uh, John is also the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble. Uh, I believe that book was published back in 2013. And uh, as John will say, might have been a little bit ahead of its time, but it certainly outlines uh, very nicely where we find ourselves today with emerging inflation and uh, why we got there. So uh, terrific book. Uh, and I'll chat with John about the book uh, in segments two and three of today's program. Speaking of inflation, I have a very timely March special report that I'm offering for the first time on today's program. The report will be sent to you absolutely free by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The March report is titled The Case for Precious Metals, a 2022 guide to who, what, when, and how for precious metals. If you're thinking about adding precious metals to your portfolio or you'd like to learn a little bit more about it, I would encourage you to request the report. Again, you can go to requestyourreport.com, www.requestyourreport.com, and ask for your free copy of The Case for Precious Metals, a 2022 guide to who, what, when, and how for precious metals. So again, the website, requestyourreport.com. You know, if you are not subscribing to my weekly newsletter, Portfolio Watch, which is delivered via email every week, there's no reason not to. It is free. It's delivered every Monday at 5 p.m., as I said, via email. And if you'd like to sign up, all you have to do is go to the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. On that website, you'll get all the podcast versions of this radio program. You can sign up for the Portfolio Watch newsletter. And you can also watch the weekly headline roundup webinars that I do. Those are live every Monday at noon. And uh, all the replays are at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Well, just a week ago in the Portfolio Watch newsletter, this is what I wrote. With the Russia invasion of Ukraine, the Federal Reserve may now slow the taper. Now, some of you may not be familiar with what that means, but all I'm stating there is that the Fed may now not cease creating currency as quickly as they said they would. They may not raise interest rates as quickly as they said they would. So slowing the taper just means that they will continue currency creation and not cut it back as they originally stated they would. Now, I quoted an article that I found written by a gentleman by the name of Lance Roberts in Portfolio Watch last week. Mr. Roberts said that it wouldn't be the first time the Fed used geopolitical risk to reverse or soften monetary policy. And he, in his article, shared a Wall Street Journal quote from 2016, so about six years ago. Uh, this article was published in May of 2016, and I'll give you just a little bit from the article. Quote, weak global demand and geopolitical risks also argue for going slow, Mr. Powell said, as well as a lower long-run neutral Fed funds rate and the apparently elevated sensitivity to financial conditions to monetary policy. Well, I had said in 
the Portfolio Watch newsletter that if you set the news of the invasion aside for just a moment, the Fed's taper talk wasn't going to do much to quell inflation anyway, in my view. The most aggressive Federal Reserve Board member was suggesting that rates go up 1% by July 1. Now, if you're a longtime listener to the program, you know that it is my view that inflation will not be contained. You cannot get inflation under control unless you have positive real interest rates. And we are a long way from that. The non-seasonally adjusted inflation rate is 7.84%. Let's just say the inflation rate is 8%. And that is a heavily manipulated rate. The real inflation rate is likely much higher than that, likely probably twice that. But let's just take the 8% number. If you take a look at what the 10-year Treasury note is yielding, it's 2%. So if you invest in a 10-year Treasury note yielding 2% and inflation rate is 8%, your real yield is a negative 6%. There's no compelling reason to make that investment. So until... Real interest rates turn positive. In other words, interest rates have to be higher than the inflation rate. Inflation will likely not be contained. And you just have to look back in history to realize that this is the case. I mean, if you go back to 1979, 1980, and I realize most of my listeners are not old enough to remember that. But if you go back and study history, we had inflation in that time frame of 15, 16% arguably about the same level as we have today if you use the same inflation inflation calculation tool to determine what the inflation rate is. At that time, the chair of the Federal Reserve, Mr. Volcker, Paul Volcker, increased interest rates to 20%. That did subdue inflation, but real interest rates were positive. Now, as I said, and illustrated for you momentarily, we are a long way from that presently. Now, this past Wednesday, the Federal Reserve Chair, Mr. Powell, made some statements. In fact, uh, Reuters uh, wrote about it, and I'll give you just a bit from the Reuters article. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, balancing high U.S. inflation against the complex new risks of a European land war, said Wednesday the central bank would begin carefully raising interest rates at its upcoming March meeting, but be ready to move more aggressively if inflation does not cool as they expect that it will. Now, between us, I don't think the Fed really expects that inflation will cool. Because Mr. Chair said, or Mr. The, the chair of the Federal Reserve, Mr. Powell said, he is inclined to support a 25 basis point hike in March. Well, a 25 basis point hike just means a quarter of a percent. Well, let's go back to inflation at 8% and the Treasury note, uh, 10-year Treasury note yielding 2% for a moment. That is a 6% real negative interest rate. If interest rates are increased by a quarter point, it's now a negative 5.75%. It is a lot more form 
than it is substance. Now, Powell did say that if inflation stays hot, they could move faster than 25 basis points at a time. But again, I don't look for it because we really can't see the Fed increase interest rates significantly or cease currency creation altogether unless the federal government operates with a balanced budget. And at this point, it seems there is no danger of that. Now, going back to the article that I referenced at the top of the segment uh, by Mr. Lance Roberts, he points out that when the Fed started to increase interest rates in 2018, the markets did not react very favorably. In fact, we saw 2018 be a very difficult year for just about all asset classes. And as the financial markets reacted negatively, the Federal Reserve went back to a softer approach, reducing interest rates and continuing quantitative easing. In fact, Mr. Roberts says this, He said in 2018, the Fed was hiking rates and tapering their balance sheet. Then, with the market under duress, rising geopolitical risks with China began to soften the Fed's more hawkish stance. Not long after, the Fed started cutting rates and bailed out hedge funds through an unofficial quantitative easing program. And that was all before the 2020 pandemic shutdown bailout of everything. We are in a whole new world. Since the beginning of 2020, about two years ago, the Fed has created about $5 trillion in new currency, and we are now starting to see the effects of that in the form of inflation. Now, some of you listening to this may say, Dennis, you sound a little bit cynical. You're talking as if the Fed really isn't going to try to get inflation under control. And as I'll talk about with John Rubino in the next couple of segments, the Fed is really in a very, very difficult position. One, if they increase interest rates to the point that it will get inflation under control, it creates budget issues with the federal government, and it also has financial markets react negatively. We go into what I would describe as a deflationary time frame, probably not, un- not unlike the 1930s. The other option that the Fed has is to continue creating currency, until inflation reaches a point that it causes the deflationary event anyway. There is not a good choice here. And all you have to do is look back to the Fed's emergency meeting on February 14 to realize that what I'm saying is true. They didn't take any action. All they did after that emergency meeting is said they were going to look at raising rates in March, and now they're talking a quarter of a percent. I believe that will make inflation continue to accelerate, and I believe that that's where the March special report, the case for precious metals, can come in and be valuable. If you'd like to get a copy of the report, just visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with John Rubino. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is Mr. John Rubino. Uh, John is a prolific author. He's written many books about the economy. Uh, He is also the manager of the very popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com. And uh, 
that is constantly updated with uh, links to stories from around the web. I would certainly encourage you to check it out. Again, the website is dollarcollapse.com. John, welcome back to the program. Hey, Dennis. Good to be back. And congratulations on your success. I hear your audience is, is really growing lately. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we have a, uh, over 60,000 listeners every week with the podcast and traditional radio show. So thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks to all the listeners. Uh, so, John, the big news, um, Russia invaded Ukraine. And I think a, a, a topic or a perspective or an angle, if you will, of this particular development is the effect on the U.S. economy. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, this, um, you know, the, the whole Russia-Ukraine upset comes at a really tough time for the rest of the world because um, we're already seeing broken supply chains in basically every industry where there's not enough of one thing or another thing and that slows down production and raises prices. And so it's very inflationary. It's very disruptive. And now with Russia and the U.S. Um, at at loggerheads over um, that part of the world and us imposing a bunch of sanctions on Russia, that's going to make all of this worse. You know, Russia is one of the biggest energy exporters in the world. It's the, the biggest natural gas exporter to, to uh, Europe. And it produces a lot of other things from um, agricultural products to basic raw materials um, that go into the various um, supply chains out there. So, you, you know, if we're, we're going to screw with that, that's going to make things even more complicated out there in a world that's already very complicated. You know, the, uh, the car industry is just, just one of many examples where they, they can't produce enough cars to satisfy demand because there aren't enough microchips in the world right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, to the extent that Russia produces the materials that go into today's microchip, then it's going to make it that much tougher. So, um, you know, this is a, a you know, big deal ge geopolitically. I don't think it's going to be World War III. So hopefully it's not that big a deal ge geopolitically, but it's a much bigger deal um, financially and economically if we end up with sanctions on Russia that last a long time and that actually bite. So, uh, you know, this is definitely something we need to be watching. Um, if we're, for instance, investing in anything that has an inflationary component or a uh, that requires microchips or anything like that, you know, all of a sudden the world is even more complicated and tougher to, uh, to, to figure out than it was three months ago. Well, you know, John, I was reading an article and it may have been linked uh, from your site, dollarcollapse.com, but uh, I read an article that the, the, the country of India um, is actually now working with Russia to come up with a non-U.S. dollar based way to settle trades because India gets a lot of their fertilizer from their very robust farming industry from Russia, as well as energy from Russia. And uh, it, it seems that one of the um, unintended consequences of these sanctions is uh, maybe accelerating the move worldwide away from the U.S. dollar. Is there any validity to that statement in your view? Oh, absolutely. We, we use the dollar in general and the, um, the SWIFT international bank clearing system in particular as weapons. In other words, when anybody makes us mad, we'll, we'll um, you know, freeze their bank accounts or we'll prevent their banks from being able to clear international transactions. And, and of course, what that does is drive other countries 
to alternate systems so that uh, they're able still to buy and sell internationally uh, without using U.S.-dominated Swiss systems. So, you know, this just adds to the imminent, to the forces that are pushing the dollar into a, um, a terminal decline. Because, you know, a fiat currency, in other words, a currency that's not backed by anything tangible, only exists. Um, and has value because we think the people running the currency are doing a good job of it. Uh, and to the extent that the U.S. does a demonstrably bad job of running the dollar, which is the world's reserve currency, uh, and other countries start looking for ways around the dollar, uh, that's going to lead to a big drop in the value of the dollar at some point because people just won't need it the way they currently do if they Russia and India, like you said, are doing most of their bilateral trade in uh, in rubles or uh, rupees. Or if China is cutting trade deals with a lot of other countries in which they use the Chinese currency, um, then you just don't need as many dollars if that's what's happening. And and that is indeed what's happening. So yeah, that's that's another big thing. It's um, you know it, it, it's head, headline news now because of the Russia situation, but it's something that's been going on for a long time. And and you know, the Canadian thing also plays into this because Canada had some political turmoil and they decided to um, define the people who were opposing government policy as basically terrorists and then went in and looted their bank account, uh, which tells any rational person who's watching that that um, you don't want to have as much money in a bank as you did before because now they're, you know, at the drop of the hat, first time you vote a way they don't like. They're liable to come after your account because they've set that precedent in Canada. Uh, so that also is not good for these fiat currencies because if you're not going to keep your currency in the bank uh, because you don't trust the banking system, then you really don't trust the currency either because the banking system is kind of uh, what underpins the currency. And you're going to be more likely to own real assets like gold and silver, which you should have anyhow been stacking. But now you've got a, another very good reason to, uh, to buy gold and silver coins, and that is that your bank account isn't secure. You don't actually own that money. It can be taken away from you. So there's a lot going on out there that, uh, that should make us all very nervous about the fate of the world's big fiat currencies and of our own finances, you know, because we don't own what we thought we owned as clearly as we thought we did. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm chatting today with Mr. John Rabino. He is uh, the author of many books on all things economic. Uh, he's also the manager of the very popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com. And John, for our listeners maybe that um, are not familiar with your work, uh, you wrote a book uh, several years ago, co-authored a book, I believe, with uh, James Turk, called The Money Bubble, um, and uh, you can maybe give a little background about that book, but it just seems to me that a lot of what you and, and uh, Mr. Turk wrote about in that book uh, looked pretty prophetic at this point. Yeah, well, that was a book basically about the, the many mistakes that um, the developed world was making financially. In other words, borrowing way too much money and creating way too much currency to cover all the, the bad debts that were accumulating out there. And and we made the prediction that uh, at some point, inflation would start to pick up, interest rates would spike because of rising inflation, and that would throw the financial markets into chaos. Now, we wrote that book in 2014, 
which was a bit early in retrospect because interest rates continued to go down for another six years. And uh, it, it looked like the financial system was basically rock solid despite the fact that we were taking on so much debt year after year after year. Well, finally, a lot of those predictions are starting to come true. You know, interest rates are rising, inflation is rising. Um, there, there is growing volatility in the financial market. Um, and, you know, we're looking at the very real possibility of simultaneous bear markets in the stock and bond market, which would just be catastrophic for everybody with, for instance, a, a 60-40 portfolio mix. In other words, where, where you, uh, you do the standard thing of buying 60% stock and 40% bonds in your savings. And uh, with, with the idea that, you know, when one goes up, the other probably goes down and vice versa. And you generally do okay over time because something is always going up. Well, if both of those categories crash, which is, is something that could very easily happen in the environment that we're creating, then a lot of people who think they have a pretty good retirement nest egg because they, they have a lot of money in it and it's well diversified between stocks and bonds are going to find out that everything they have is going down. You know, if, uh, how many people could still retire if they lose 50% of their nest egg? Probably a lot of people would be in the no category at that point, you know, because uh, um, that's, that's a big hit to take later in life. But that's what's going to happen to a lot of retirees or, or soon-to-be retired people uh, just because the financial markets have been mismanaged for, for such a long time that everything is wildly overvalued. And now that the Fed has to tighten in the face of rising inflation, a lot of financial assets will go back to their intrinsic value, which is 50% less than today or 70% less. It's going to be a bloodbath if it goes that way. Uh, and it's very possible that it will go that way. And that's basically what we predicted in the money bubble. Um, and our solution was to get out of the financial system as much as possible. You know, don't... Uh, don't own a lot of bonds that, that go down when interest rates go up. Don't own a lot of stocks that uh, can be wildly overvalued and drop by 50% without the company's fortunes really changing at all. Avoid that stuff. Own gold and silver, other kinds of real assets like farmland or a, a, a high-quality rental house, energy assets, things like that, uh, and you'll basically be okay. So now, if people haven't started doing that, it is time to start doing that. So, John, and when we, we've got maybe a minute and a half or so left in this segment, so we'll maybe need to pick this up on the other side. But the, the Fed needs to tighten, but do you think they're in a position that they actually can tighten to the point that they can get inflation under control? Well, this is the box they're in. Inflation is high enough now that if they don't take steps to rein it in, it risks spinning out of control, where people start buying you know, in, in a panic all the things they're going to need for the next few years, which makes prices go up even more, which causes more panic. The Fed doesn't want that. But if they raise interest rates even a little bit from here, uh, the stuff I just talked about before starts to happen. You know, the bond market collapses, stocks tank, and, and uh, probably home prices go down too. So you'll, you'll see huge amounts of wealth just evaporate. And they know that. Uh, and so I'm sure it's hard for them to sleep at night knowing that whatever they do, they're risking some catastrophic crisis. And, uh, that they probably can't fix. Well, my guest today is Mr. John Rabino. Uh, check out his website at dollarcollapse.com. I will continue my conversation with John when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I am chatting today with uh, multiple-time uh, author, Mr. John Rubino. Uh, we chat with him in the last segment about his book, uh, The Money Bubble, which is really a prophecy of where we are today. Uh, he is the manager of the popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com. I'd encourage you to check that out. John, we were talking as we uh, ran out of time in the last segment about really the, the, the box the Fed is in. Um, I had Peter Schiff on the program uh, not long ago, and he contends that to get inflation under control, we need to have real positive interest rates. And with an inflation rate that is officially between 7 and 8%, and I think a 10-year U.S. Treasury note yielding about 2%, we're a long way from that. Uh, would you or would you agree or disagree with that assessment? Um, I, I I agree that you need positive interest rates to restrain inflation. And you know, as Peter Schiff um, likes to say, uh, we're a long way from that. <laughs> you know, to get to get from here to there. I mean, inflation is officially seven percent, and probably in reality, something more like ten or twelve percent you might need double-digit interest rates to actually have monetary policy that, that has the desired effect of, of restraining inflation. But if we did that, then the leveraged speculating community, which is almost everybody in the financial system right now, you know, in other words, lots of people who depend on low interest rates in order to um, have the trades they've put on work out, they will just blow up. You know, their, their trades won't work anymore. They'll... Um, lose massive amounts of money, they'll default on their debt, then the people who lent them money will default on their debt, and you get this cascade failure of the financial system and the economy. Um, so yeah, um, what we should do is have positive interest rates, positive real interest rates pretty much all the time. But we've gotten so far away from that as the governments of the world have borrowed more and more money and needed to create more and more currency and needed to push interest rates down further and further in order to keep all their bad debts from the past from coming back to haunt them. You know, we've gotten so far away from this idea that interest rates ought to exceed the rate of inflation that there's no way to get back there. So we'll try. I mean, the Fed feels obligated to start moving in that direction. Uh, but um, more than likely, there's a number on say the yield of the 10-year treasury bond, for instance, that we can't go beyond. And it, once the Fed raises interest rates or engineers higher interest rates in the, the longer part of the yield curve, to, uh, to that point, the, uh, the system will just blow up. And we've seen that happen quite a few times. I mean, in, in, you know, in 2008, 2009, that's what happened. Interest rates got too high for the uh, all the debt that was out there to survive, and the system just cratered. Um, and we've seen many versions of that since then called taper tantrums. When the Fed starts to try to tighten just a little bit because they know things are getting out of control, the stock market just collapses. That happened um, in December of 2018, and it was terrifying to the guys running the economy. So they immediately um, changed directions and started easing again and pushed interest rates down even further and created more new currency. You know, so um, the, the, the magic number for the, um, the 10 year treasury yield that we can't go beyond is probably a little bit lower than it was in, uh, 2018, the last time we had a massive paper tent. 
And that means it's not high, much higher than it is right now. Like if we, if we get up into the twos, the low twos, or the 10-year treasury, I think we're in the danger zone. We can't go much beyond that without the economy just tanking. And we're really not that far from that. So ha let's have another year like last year uh, going forward. And uh, we will probably be up in the range where the economy is getting ready just to implode, you know, and, and there's really nothing the Fed can do about it because um, they're out of possibly good choices. All they've got is bad choices now that will lead to some kind of a catastrophe. And, you know, their choices between a deflation, deflationary crash or a accelerating inflation that eventually causes a deflationary crash. And that's basically it. So. Uh, I, I don't think we have any good solutions to look forward to in the near term. Well, John, that's exactly what I was going to say. Don't, don't I mean, inflation, if, if the Fed does taper, we, we have a lot more debt than we had at the time of the financial crisis. Uh, you know, so, some of the numbers that I've seen, uh, you know, $120 trillion of debt worldwide at the time of the financial crisis, that's now ballooned to $300 trillion. I mean, ultimately, when this deflationary collapse kicks in, uh, isn't it going to be a lot worse than what we saw in 2007, 2008? Oh, potentially it's worse than anything we've ever seen, you know, worse than the Great Depression um, and definitely worse than 2008, 2009, you know, um, because the numbers are so much bigger. Uh, it, you know, finance is basically just math, really. You've got this much debt, which requires this much uh, interest to, um, to satisfy and you're generating this much cash flow, and uh, and that's it. You know, and if the cash flow doesn't meet the, the level of your interest expense, you go bankrupt. And if you're a government, um, you can create a lot of new currency to cover that stuff, but you can't control the price of that currency or its value. You know, and and that's where you get into trouble when you uh, when you start creating so much new currency um, to cover the bad debts from your past and the value of your currency starts to fall because of excess supply, you lose that last tool that you have to manage um, excess interest expense, too much debt. You know, you, uh, you can't stop those things from causing the, uh, the problems they're going to cause. And then see, we're, we're heading for a psychological change as all this math works out. When people finally figure out that there's no adult supervision left in the financial market. The guys in charge have no idea what they're doing. In fact, they cause the problems, uh, and therefore they can't be expected to have any idea how to fix them. And whatever's going to happen is just going to happen, and there's nothing we can do about it. And then you will see massive amounts of capital that's in risky assets right now try to pour through some very tiny doors to get to safer assets. Uh, and that's when gold and silver just go through the roof and when, uh, or, or if you can even buy them, you know, quoting prices for gold and silver, uh, say three years hence, might, um, might be pointless because at whatever price you're quoted, you still can't get any. You know, it's that kind of a situation because there's so much global investable capital trying to get into these tiny little markets. And we don't know what that'll do to, for instance, cryptocurrencies, because we don't know whether they're tech stock or digital gold. That's yet to be discovered. Uh, but they're going to be incredibly volatile if we figure that out. Um, and yeah, um, the people who have prepared for it will see their wealth you know, go up dramatically, or 
at least in real terms. In other words, in inflationary adjust, adjusted terms, it'll stay stable where everybody else is losing big. Uh, and so there, there's going to be a, a small group of people who are prepared for this and do very well, and a much larger group of people who trusted the government, who wanted that one last killing before they got out of the market and, uh, and stayed too long and just got crushed by what's happening. They, they, they are unable to get out when they finally do try to get out. And uh, it's, it's going to be brutal, but it's also going to be poetic justice for a lot of these guys because uh, they behaved very badly. <laughs> you know, the guys in charge were idiots. The people who listened to them were, were way too gullible. And um, that's just how life works. You know, fool and his money is quickly parted. Uh, we're going to see that on a vast scale in the not too distant future. So, John, uh, I've talked to some guests on the program who are, are forecasting that we're going to continue to see price inflation on uh, consumer goods and services, but we'll see asset prices, uh, real estate, stocks, bonds, we'll see those uh, deflate and, and, and in a big way. And that's kind of what you've said. Um, w- would you concur with that potential outcome? Yeah, with, with the possible exception of real estate, because it's, it's kind of a real asset itself because it has a, a function. You know, it has utility in and of itself, separate from the financial market. So some pieces of real estate might go up in what's coming, along with other safe haven assets like gold and silver, or they, you know, they might just hold their value. You know, whether they, they quadruple or just go up enough to offset the decline in the value of the dollar and the euro in the end, we'll see. Uh, but they're still at, at worst safe and at best very profitable assets in what's coming. Uh, the financial assets, see that's the distinction, real assets, financial assets. Financial assets are things that, that have counterparty risk. They depend on somebody else keeping a promise uh, for them to have any value. And that would be stocks and bonds. You know, With a bond, you've basically lent money to somebody who then has to pay you back. If they can't pay you back, or they pay you back in currency that's worth way less than the currency that you gave them, that's bad. With stocks, um, if the, the company who, whose stock you own cannot raise their prices fast enough to keep up with the increase in their cost, they lose money. They have a margin squeeze, and the value of their stock goes down dramatically, too. And we'll see that in a lot of companies out there when, uh, when inflation really gets going or when, um, when people stop paying their, their debts and lots of you know, suppliers go bankrupt and things like that. Um, so the, the financial assets will, will be the things um, that have done great for the past 30 years and won't do well in the next 20, while hard assets like gold and silver and maybe industrial commodities, maybe certain kinds of real estate, uh, they should do much better. And you should be in the process of shifting over to stuff like that now uh, while there's still time. And in, in the precious metal sector, the simplest thing to do is just buy some gold and silver coins. Just, uh, they call that stacking. Buy a few more each month, put them in your stack, put them away, and know they'll be okay. Uh, and count on that as the bedrock part of your financial life going forward. So, John, in the, in the time we have left, which is about a minute and a half or so, between gold and silver, do you have a favorite? Um, I would say silver right now is probably, um, okay, better is, is more of a value judgment than I would care to make. Silver is a little bit um, cheaper right now than gold, and 
there's no problem with confiscation of any kind. Uh, we've seen already with people or with governments breaking into bank accounts and looting them that gold might again be a target since the U.S. already confiscated gold and made it illegal for individuals to own it in 1934 and didn't take off those restrictions until 1971. So gold uh, probably won't be a target this time around, but it could be a target. Silver almost certainly will not be a target. Uh, so it's cheap, easy to buy, uh, and probably safe from governments trying to um, to loot your precious metals accounts going forward. Well, my guest today has been Mr. John Rubino. His website is uh, the very popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com. Uh, I go there to check out links to news stories regularly. I would encourage you to do the same. Again, the website, dollarcollapse.com. John, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and thank you for joining us on today's program. Thanks, Dennis. Talk to you soon. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thanks again to Mr. John Rabino for joining us on today's program. You know, I mentioned in the first segment that this is the first week that I'll be offering the March special report. The report is titled The Case for Precious Metals, a 2022 guide to who, what, when, and how for precious metals. If you're concerned about inflation, if you're concerned about protecting yourself from inflation, and you haven't yet looked at adding precious metals to your portfolio, this guide will give you some terrific information, and I'll send you the guide along with some bonus information that I think you'll find to be timely. To get the report, to get the bonus information, all you have to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Another resource that we have for all our listeners is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website. The web address is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And at that website, you can sign up for my weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter or watch the weekly Headline Roundup newscast that I do live every Monday at noon. Now, in Portfolio Watch a week ago, I wrote a piece called Monetary Realities, and in it, I talked about the fact, and I talked about this with John Rubino on today's program as well, that the Fed really has two choices, and both of the choices are bad. One is they don't taper fast enough. Inflation accelerates to the point that confidence is lost in the currency, and it leads to a deflationary collapse. The second thing they do is taper fast enough to get inflation under control, which I believe is not likely, in which case we then go immediately to a deflationary collapse. So both of those outcomes are bad outcomes. Now, I would argue that the Fed's not going to be able to raise interest rates fast enough. And in the first segment, I said that it's my view the Fed interest rate increases will be more form than they will substance simply because there are other headwinds that the Fed faces as well. Financial markets, I'm sure you've noticed, they are jittery to say the least. The broad stock market using almost any valuation measure remains extremely overvalued and investors are now more bearish than at any time since 2016. Now there is a U.S. investor sentiment bullish reading index. 
and it measures the bullishness of investors. Now, if you go back to 2020, at the end of the year, this index was reading almost 60. Uh, that's about where it was at the end of 2017 and where it was at the end of 2010. So it was near an all-time bullish high. Now, however, that index has fallen from 60 to 20. Investors are now more bearish than at any time since 2016. And on top of that, consumer confidence is also lagging. Now, that's really meaningful for the U.S. economy. And consumer confidence is the second headwind that I believe the Fed faces when considering how quickly to raise interest rates and how far to raise interest rates. The U.S. economy is 70% dependent on consumer spending, actually just a little bit more than that. So falling consumer confidence is simply bad for the economy. Now, Ben Bernanke, back in 2010, when he launched the second round of quantitative easing or currency creation, had this to say. He said, quote, easier financial conditions will promote economic growth. For example, lower mortgage rates will make housing more affordable and allow more homeowners to refinance. Lower corporate bond rates will encourage investment. And higher stock prices will boost consumer wealth and help increase confidence, which can also spur spending. But what Mr. Bernanke predicted really didn't happen. Ellen Brown, a past guest here on the program, put it very well when she said we have a financialized economy. Well, what does she mean by that? She says, well, the financialized economy, including stocks, corporate bonds, and real estate, is now booming. At the same time, the bulk of the population is struggling to meet daily expenses. The world's 500 richest people got trillions of dollars richer last year, while 45% of Americans have no savings and nearly 70% couldn't even come up with $1,000 in an emergency without borrowing the money. Ms. Brown says this, central bank policies intended to boost the real economy, just think back to the Ben Bernanke quote I just read for you, have had the effect only of boosting the financial economy. They have benefited those that have, not those in the middle class or at the lower income tier. So the wealth gap has gotten wider. As Ms. Brown said, quote, this transmission mechanism isn't working because consumers are tapped out. And they are. In fact, when you look at consumer confidence since 2020, at the beginning of 2020, consumer confidence using the index was at about 120. Um, it's now at about 86 so consumer confidence has fallen about 30% in the last two years, and at the same time, stocks have rallied 50%. That's not congruent. Consumer confidence has fallen, stocks have rallied. It makes Ms. Brown's point. It's my view that Fed policy, government policy, has created an artificial economy, and we're now seeing the effects of those, uh, in my view, bad policies. 
If you'd like to get a perspective on how to protect yourself, I do have a March special report that I will close uh, by, by giving you the website to order it if you would like. The, the website is requestyourreport.com. And the report, if you're just joining me, is the Case for Precious Metals, a 2022 guide to who, what, when, and how for precious metals. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.